Hello, and welcome to this week's Inside OSU podcast. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sewell, Vice President for Research at Oklahoma State University. OSU's research productivity places us in the top tier of research universities, according to the Carnegie classifications. Our scientists and scholars are conducting cutting-edge research in fields all across OSU. OSU is changing lives and changing the world. Whether it's our experiments being carried out on the International Space Station, our new breeds of wheat that can withstand drought to feed more hungry mouths, or how we develop effective treatments for everything from cancer to bovine respiratory disease. Next week, February 18th through the 22nd, is Research Week, our annual celebration of OSU's exciting research and the talented faculty who make it happen. The week is filled with events all across OSU, from many conferences to symposia, invited talks, and Q&A sessions. We will even host MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, Dr. Rebecca Sandifer, happens to be the daughter of Provost Gary Sandifer here at OSU, to talk about her research on equal access to civil justice. Most of these events are open to the public, so check out the schedule at researchweek.okstate.edu or on your OSU Research mobile app. Now, in today's podcast, you're going to hear an interview that was recorded at one of our recent Research on Tap events. Research on Tap is held the third Monday every month at Stillwater's own Iron Monk Brewery. This gives the public an opportunity to get an up-close and personal take on research from a faculty expert. In this installment of Research on Tap, my guest was Dr. Jamie Jacob, one of the leading unmanned aerial vehicle researchers in the world. Not only will your Amazon shipment or your pizza delivery likely come by way of a drone sometime very soon, but drones are already improving storm forecasts, keeping us safe at concerts and sporting events, and even helping our farmers make the most efficient use of water and fertilizer. But of course, this incredible progress doesn't come without controversy and potential downsides. So we talk about those too. Here's my interview with Dr. Jamie Jacob, the future of drones, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, it's interesting. It goes all the way back to the 1990s when another professor in mechanical and aerospace engineering, Andy Arena, started taking over our senior design course. And he wanted to try something different. And that was you know, using remote control aircraft or drones at the time uh, to kind of give students experience in building aircraft and learning the consequences of their design choices that they make. Uh, and so this was pretty novel at the time. You know, people didn't really think of that as a as a thing that you would typically do in a senior design course, where you actually build something and go out and fly it. Uh, it just worked out in terms of being at the right place at the right time, and you kind of build up this great program. And that's why I came here in 2006, because of uh, the efforts that he had done. It turned this into a really competitive program, and that's what attracted me to OSU. So one of the things I, I often hear is that I, uh, an unmanned aircraft Obviously, it flies, but it's doing something. In, in, in essence, it's a it's a it's a sensor deployment device. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a payload on it, it's just a fancy toy, right? Yeah. So the the thing that makes the drone a drone uh, is having some kind of payload on board, whether it's a camera or other sensor that's actually doing something useful. So doing something useful. So I mean, we've all we, we've all hear about drones in the military environment, but we hear more and more about future of Amazon.com and, and, and all of that, but when you, when you say the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the future of, of drones, let's start with the good. So I, I, I take it you mean something about the applications or the ways that we, we can put yeah. drones to use 
that are that are somehow good for our lives. So sure. where do you see that going? Yeah, well, what we can do with them, right? That, that right. turns into something beneficial to uh, society. Uh, and I'm going to focus on you know one program first that you know we is kind of a, one of our, our jewels right now, which is a, a you know collaborative effort with other universities, uh, including NOAA, the National Severe Storms Lab, and National Weather Service. And that's actually you know doing something that's near and dear to every Oklahoman's heart, which is uh, observing the weather and trying to improve weather forecasting. And I think everyone in here can agree that after our kind of disastrous forecast that we had about a week and a half ago that said we're going to get, I think it was something like 23 feet of snow. Um, and then all of a sudden we got nothing. it was only 20 feet. Oh, we were, only we 20 feet, right. Yeah, we weren't so, ready for the 23. Well, it depends on which side of Stillwater yeah. you're on. Right. Uh, but we could always use some improvement in that. And so you know, we've been using uh, drones to essentially help improve our weather forecasting capability. You know, putting sensors on them, the same type of sensors you'd put on a weather balloon, and that's where the weather service gets most of its forecasting data from. Putting it on a drone, flying it up, taking that data, and then sending it directly to the National Weather Service. So we have a lot of stuff close to the ground that helps us predict weather, yeah. and a lot of stuff way up in the sky, but we're kind of National Weather Service has been really dependent upon these balloons that are not Yeah, I and mean, it's not what real they've precise. been doing right yeah. for the last you know, 50 years. It's still their workforce. Most of that data that they get you know, comes from those weather balloons. And they're you know, only launched uh, twice a day. Uh, they're not recovered, so that you don't get the balloon they back. You go up and go away, away, kind of That's like it. those balloons we launched as kids with the little wishes in them. Yeah. And so you are working with a meteorologist. I have to be careful because you know, I'm not a meteorologist. Uh, I'm an engineer. Uh, but, you know, if you talk to them, they think that if they can get the data that they need and they get the models improved, that they'll be able to warn us when a tornado is coming an hour away. An hour away. Yeah, they'll be able to say, hey, you're going to get a tornado in your area one hour from now. Wow. They so call that, that warn on forecast. So that's a, that is a, an application of drones that really and truly can change all of our lives. If yeah. We, yeah, it's something that directly impacts really every Oklahoman. Now, we'll come back to some other applications here in a minute, but at OSU, you mentioned its origins with uh, the senior design class and, and Andy Arena's uh, work of building these drones. So I'm trying to get a sense of what all do we have expertise in here? Is it just building them from scratch? Or obviously, they have to have guidance systems and, and all sure. of that, yeah. the sensors that go on them. What, 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 if, what, must, what is the research here at OSU about? Yeah, and, you know, in first kind of a deconstructing a drone, right, you tend to think of that vehicle as that one piece, and that's just one part of it. You, know, you also have the communication system, so it has to communicate you know, typically with a pilot uh, or some other type of system on the ground that telling, is telling you what it's measuring. Uh, then you have the autopilot on board that's doing all the thinking. You know, that's the brain that you have uh, on the system. And then you have the payload itself. So each one of those pieces uh, has some unique research aspects. And so, you know, we have faculty that are really strong in the control systems, faculty that have been, you know, working in payload systems, uh, you know, EOIR uh, cameras. Uh, EOIR. Yeah, okay. electro-optical infrared. Okay, there we go. Right. So that's really that's useful. part of my job here. I'm not worth much, but I keep you from using acronyms that we don't break down. So. Fair. Okay. Right. So really useful if you say want to look at crops and determine crop health. Uh, so you use those you know, EOIR uh, type of sensors. It's like EOEIO. Yeah, yeah. But so that's another application. 
you mentioned the, the crop systems. Yeah, and of course, you know, being uh, OSU with our the strength in A and M, uh, that uh, that big A piece with uh, with uh, agriculture, uh, you know, they have a need for that, and that you know that's plant soil sciences, uh, agriculture engineer, college of agriculture, um, all those pieces, you know, really benefit from being able to use a drone to survey crops. So precision agriculture is oftentimes about trying to bring the right nutrients to the to the right spots in the field, right. bring the right the right amount of um, water uh, mm -hmm. to the right spots in the field, and drones are playing a role in that. Yeah, certainly looking from above so that way you get a real-time eye in the sky. You're able to determine your crop health, or how much water, how much pesticide, how much nutrient does a specific place need rather than you know, farming to the mean where you're just spraying an average amount over everywhere. You can give every piece of the crop exactly what it needs. Okay, so OSU is involved in designing, these platforms, building them, inventing and, and uh, programming the yeah. avionics, the communications, the payloads. What about the data? That's, yeah, it's a good point. So particularly if you look at you know, what happens on the data side, we end up getting flooded with all of this kind of rich data that we don't know what to do with. And so that really kind of brings in the GIS, the Geographic Information Sciences side of that. So how do you take all this information and then turn it into something actionable. So that's you know where we have the, the mathematicians, uh, the computer scientists, the geographers, all involved uh, to help with so that. So this isn't oh. just all the engineers. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of everything. And that's one of the reasons yeah. we founded uh, the Unmanned Systems Research Institute was to bring all these different specialties and bits of expertise that have across the entire campus together. Fantastic. So, and, and obviously that computing power, there's some computing processing going on on the 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 uh, drone itself but mm -hmm. i presume most of that is just a data stream that you're dealing with the computing power on the ground yeah for that's the most part now and that's one of the areas that we're actually working on to try to offload a lot of that so you, you know there's a, a lot of heavy lifting that you have to do on the ground once you get that data uh but we're trying to do a lot of that on board do now in real time so that way you know the, the drone can start to make decisions about what it needs to do next based upon the information that it has coming in. Make intelligent decisions. And that's going to be important not only for the data, you know, if you're taking weather, for example, weather data, you know, where do you want to fly to next to make sure you're getting that right information? Or you start to key that into navigation. Oh, I have an aircraft coming towards me now. What do I need to do? as a drone to kind of make that decision. So to get obviously away. like a, a feel that I want to know where the right nutrients need to go, it's, it, it'd be somewhat sensical to, to program a grid of a search grid or a right. scan grid. But when you're talking about a storm, you're talking about actually having that, that drone decide what to do next based upon active uh, data that it's receiving. Sure, you so know, as that for, storm is moving, for be able to figure out, yeah, I, I want to chase the tornado. So as I'm picking those signals up, where do I need to be flying towards? So it's one thing to have somebody on the ground maneuvering it, but this is making the drone itself smart yeah. and really, truly autonomous. Yeah, we're not there yet, but we're working yeah. towards it. Yeah. Well, okay. So we talked some about the good, and there's a lot of good to talk about. We read, people can bring up questions there, but uh, you, 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 you kind of had a concept of of the bad what's what's the bad regarding well, think, uh regarding we can start with the games. baddest of the bad yeah. first right or well, do you want to start with the, yeah go for the baddest yeah, of the so, bad so, you know so, so that's taking the same type of system and you know if you can think of a good payload you can put on something well you can think of a bad payload that you can put on there as well uh, whether it's explosives or 
you know, some pipe of a So if I can, if I can fly bomb. some some uh, f feed in to trap feral hogs and drop it in a in a in a trap out in the field, which, which we did, which we right. did, um, we could also think about dropping something that's not quite so useful into sure. a, into a football stadium or uh, right. And that's what we saw with uh, yeah. with ISIS last year. You know, primarily you know, buying off the shelf systems, something you could buy off Amazon, taking it back to uh, a garage or the ISIS equivalent of that. Uh, equipping it with bombs and then you know flying it against troops and so that has spawned a whole other area that you guys are in you call it counter UAS counter UAS All right. so what, what do you mean by that well it, it, and this is one of those things where if you kind of look back historically from uh, uh, so the DOD's perspective uh, it's one of these threats that they didn't really see uh, coming up and it's happened a couple of years ago everyone kind of remembers when uh, there was a drone that landed on the White House lawn and people said oh that's a thing. We should maybe that's be, a problem. Yeah, we maybe we should be about. worried about that yeah. and figure out how to deal with that. So it's really trying to you know kind of balance the the freedom of the of the air you know that we have um, you know, in the U.S. in terms of being able to buy these systems and operate them and, and do good things with them, while at the same time you know making sure that we protect uh, people on the ground and in the air. At least in some ways, being able to know when they're there and if need be deal with them before they could do any any right. harm if they're bad actors mm -hmm. some people get a little uptight about privacy side of things is that is that potentially yeah, one of the, it's the bad, another bad pieces, right yeah. right in terms you know having something that can spy on someone so now it, you know anyone that has a thousand dollars can go out and you have a, a camera in the air that allows you to fly over your neighbor's property for example and you kind of you know that lose that expectation of privacy that maybe you thought you had beforehand so even that's one of the areas that we're having to deal with. Does that now? Maybe I'm confusing the bad with the ugly. So tell, what, now, when you said put that in your title, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what, uh, yeah. are, you, what are you thinking about as the ugly? Yeah, the, the ugly is all the regulations that we have to deal with, right? Oh, okay. So before all this happens, and so you know, is anyone from the FAA in here? <laughs> Want to make sure I get that out first, right before we get there. No one. So, yeah. Yeah, just clear. Speak, speak right? now or forever hold your peace. If yeah, you're it's like the when FAA, you ask someone right. you're a cop, right? You have to tell me. It's the same <laughs> so. Yeah, it's not like we're recording it. It's yeah. not. Nobody else is going to hear it. Speak, just between you and me. Yeah. So tell me about Perfect, this. Perfect, right. So, uh, there's a, so there are a lot of regulations that you have to deal with. And, and you know, to, to be fair, we have the safest airspace in the world. And that's due to the FAA and the laws that we have in the place yep. and the regulations. We want to keep it that way. Uh, but you know, for this technological change uh, to happen, and then we have to kind of revise the rules and uh, regulations that we have, the rules of the road per se, mm. uh, for flying these systems in the air. And it kind of brings back to you know we want to talk about driverless cars at some point yeah. as well because open open that up because we've been talking about FAA. things in things sure. in the air. But when we talk about drones, I mean, I actually even I was going to ask you about the term. The yeah. term drone, of course, comes from. The terms we use in uh, in military contexts, as well as in bees and that sort of thing, but uh, is that is that the right term for us? I, we're okay with it. Okay, you know, you know, it's not my preferred term, but everyone knows what it is. But when we're talking about unmanned systems, we're talking about vehicles that are getting around in some way other than by a driver, right. whether it's a an unmanned uh, yeah, car again, or you, you, driverless you, you car. You have some autopilot on board that's kind of making those either second to second, minute to minute, or you know, even hour to hour decisions about where the system is going to go. And that's you know, really kind of the, the problem you have to deal with uh, from the FAA's perspective, where you have a hundred years you know, worth of precedent 
uh, in terms of how we're operating aircraft within the airspace, now you no longer have a person on board that's really serving as your safety mechanism. It's able to mm. look out the cockpit window and say, yeah, there's, a, there's another aircraft over there that I need to be able to avoid. So dealing with that is very, very difficult. And that you know, has put the FAA in a very problematic situation in trying to figure out how do we get this technology integrated while making sure we maintain the safety of the airspace. One of the ways they're dealing with that now, the FAA has just opened up what they call the Unmanned Aircraft Systems uh, Integrated Pilot Program Test Sites. Uh, so the Choctaw Nation has one of those here in uh, just uh, northeast of Durant, Oklahoma. So that way we can, you know, go and test these concepts in a really safe environment. The FAA can get the data that they need to really kind of make intelligent decisions uh, about how they integrate things into the airspace in the future. So right now, with if you, if you go to Amazon.com and, and and buy a, an unmanned aircraft. You're allowed to fly it under certain circumstances, but only where the pilot can see it. Right. Right. And yeah, you have to this, maintain what's called visual line of sight. Okay. And so this integrated in, integration pilot program, uh, that's intended to help provide some test sites for stretching the boundaries a bit. Sure. Yeah, basically flying things over the horizon so you no longer see the aircraft. And that's not really to, to see the unmanned aircraft necessarily or the drone. It's really to make sure there are no other aircraft around it. Uh, so that way you don't have a possible collision. So making sure that your airspace is clear. And I, I didn't bring this up in our get together before we had this, but another concept I hear often in the unmanned systems world, whether it's unmanned aircraft or unmanned underwater vehicles is the concept of, of swarm technology. Mm -hmm. And so is that also part of that, that guidance Maybe yeah, yeah. Tell me yeah. what that really means. I hear that. Sure. And so a, you, you hear, you know, usually people f uh, refer to it as a swarm. And so instead of uh, now that you have a vehicle that you can control via an autopilot, that means you can have one pilot controlling multiple vehicles at the same time. Or, you know, multiple vehicles flying with no pilot that are on a pre-programmed mission. Uh, and so a swarm, just like you'd have a swarm of bees or a flock of birds. So now they have some kind of pre-prescribed mission. But at the same time, they're making decisions on the fly. And kind about, of communicating with each other. Yeah, making sure way. they avoid each other. They don't yeah. crash into one another. Uh, so they have to you know, communicate maybe node-to-node -node or some type of mesh network. And then send that information back down to the ground as well. And so, again, that's one of those areas that uh, we can you know, use both the IPP as well as you know, some of our other waivers to be able to go through the process of flying these swarms. Uh, and it opens up the, you know, the capabilities in terms of Instead of just flying one vehicle that's taking one set of measurements, now you can fly a hundred. That's you know really increasing the amount of workload that you can do. Some of the other research on tap guests have been experts on brain stimulation, E. coli, big data, alcohol use in teenagers, and even social cognition. You can find out about future research on tap events by following us on Facebook or by going to research.okstate.edu. Also, you can view our archived installments on O-State TV. Just go to research in the About OSU section. And don't forget, next week is Research Week at OSU. You're invited to join the celebration. So check out researchweek.okstate.edu or your OSU Research mobile app for a schedule of events. And I'll see you there. And that's it for this week. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sewell. Join us next week for another Inside OSU podcast. <laughs>